How marvellous that the Lord worked in the heart of that troubled Saint William Cowper to produce these powerful hymns that we can sing together. We're going to turn to God's Word now, and uh, we turn tonight to the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, going to read from verse 6 to uh, chapter 3, verse 4. It's page 1147 in our church Bibles. Chapter 2 of the first letter to the church in Corinth. And Paul writes from verse 6. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, For they are folly to him, foolishness to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, Are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Well, it's those last four verses, the first four verses of chapter 3, that I'd like us to keep open as we... uh, 
this evening come to another new series. We started a new series this morning, and the subject of that is foundations. We need, as it were, to enter an old ruined house and see that the foundations are rotten and are undermined, they are corrupt, and we need to clear away those old foundations that are that our society uh, has and that we are partakers of, and we need to lay the right, strong, biblical foundations. Now, this evening, the theme is not that different in some ways, but it it is not the same. I want to spend some weeks looking at the subject of maturity, of being mature Christians. That's where... God willing, we're going to be going over these coming weeks. And there are various reasons for this. One reason might be about 18 months ago, I, uh, I completed a Master of Theology degree at um, Edinburgh Theological Seminary on the subject of Christian maturity. And I did wonder at the time whether any preaching ministry might potentially come from that great labor of love well, whatever you might want to refer to it as. Uh, Well, in a sense, it has. But please don't be alarmed. I'm not going to spend the next uh, uh, 35 weeks or so reading out my 40,000-word academic thesis to you all. That would would send you all to sleep and send you all home. We're not going to do that. But why the subject of maturity? What does it mean to be mature. We know what it means. We all know what it means. It means to be full grown. It means to come of age. It means to be strong, ready, equipped, to reach an advanced, satisfying, settled stage of development. It also carries the idea of being fruitful, of bearing fruit, of being useful. And I hope that as I say these things, that you might agree with me and say, yes, this sounds really important, this sounds really interesting, this sounds really worthwhile. I, you, we all want to be a mature person, a grown-up Christian. We want Grove Chapel to be a mature congregation of God's people. If that's your mind, then, please God, it's also my mind. We have the same attitude, maybe a mature attitude, perhaps. We want to be a mature congregation. We want to be mature believers. And it's certainly the attitude of the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter. Let me give a couple of other examples uh, from his letters where he speaks very explicitly about being mature. Ephesians 4.13 is a classic passage. He longs for the day, he says, when we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of of the fullness of Christ. And a similar passage 
in Colossians 1, 28 and 29, where Paul says, Him, that is Christ, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now, there are other themes that are very much related and similar to maturity. And I could have chosen any number of these, and I'll just list what they are. And they all kind of interlink. They all overlap. They all have to do with this big theme of maturity. We could talk about growth. We could talk about strength. We could talk about holiness and sanctification. We could talk about godliness. We could look at the fruit of the Spirit. We will come to that perhaps at a later stage. We could look at the very important area of wisdom, for wisdom and maturity are so closely interlinked. We could look, we will look, at self-control, at self-discipline, the power of habit, a useful life. We could look at it from the angle of Christian discipleship, of likeness to Jesus Christ. We could see maturity as the development of Christian character. That's as close as we can probably get to a a summary of what maturity is. And the longer that I've reflected on this subject, the more I've seen this. Wanting, as Paul wants, to present everyone mature in Christ is not just one goal out of many goals in Christian ministry. It really has to be the central and preoccupying goal of all Christian ministry. If you were to get the Apostle Paul in a room by himself and say, Paul, tell me, is there one thing that drives you on in your ministry when you look at all the churches in Corinth and in Rome and in Galatia and Ephesus and Philippi and Colossae and Thessalonica and everywhere else? What is it, Paul, that really you are looking for? What would you regard as being success criteria in the churches where you are laboring? And Paul would probably say, I long to see these churches, these believers, strong, mature in Christ. I'm making that claim. I think that's a bold but probably a fairly accurate claim. You'll have to ask the Apostle Paul in glory one day whether, whether that's a reasonable assessment of what his motivation was. But tonight, as we come to these first four verses of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we notice immediately that Paul has a certain tone with them, doesn't he? Because Paul is addressing the Corinthians' immaturity, their immaturity. And so my first point is this. This immaturity frustrates Paul's pastoral longing. Paul is frustrated by the immaturity of these Corinthians. Now look at the first two verses. He says to them, after that amazing passage in chapter 2, he says, but I, brothers... I couldn't address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, but even now you're not ready for it. And you can sense his 
exasperation, his frustration. Oh, like a parent or or, or a teacher whose children are making no progress. He's, He's champing at the bit. He's disappointed with them. He's saying, you ought to be much further down the road of maturity, of being grown up than you are. But you're still like infants. You're still like babies. That's what he's saying to them. And this ought not to be true. You should be more mature. He wants the Corinthians to feel ashamed about their lack of progress. Now let me make a a suggestion which I think we will all agree with. To want to grow up, to want to make progress, to want to mature, to want to be an adult is a sign of health, isn't it? The healthy child looks forward to being an adult. Dad, I can't wait till I'm grown up. Dad, when can I have my own bank account? Dad, when can I go out by myself and not come home until it's 10 o'clock at night? Not for a while. A healthy child wants to be an adult, wants to grow up. Isn't that right? All the children here would say, yeah, that's right. An adult who behaves like a child or wants to live like a child and do childish things is in a tragically unhealthy Condition. I'm now saying adults who want to be children, that is a bit like this morning. That's putting things back to front. Whatever may or may not be true about the allegations made against Michael Jackson, that profoundly gifted man, profoundly tragic man, here is a grown man who seemed to be on a quest to discover and live out a satisfying and fulfilling childhood that he had missed out on when he himself was a child. He wanted to surround himself with all the trappings of childhood when he was a man in his 30s and 40s. What a tragedy. May it not be true of any of us that we would rather be children than adults, or remain as children, rather than want to grow. Now, what is Paul actually saying to these Corinthians? Because on this we need to be very, very clear. He says, I could not address you as spiritual people. I am addressing you as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Now, what does Paul actually mean? This is so important. If we don't get this right, we will be wrong for years to come. So it's worth listening. Does Paul mean that these Corinthians are actually completely unspiritual? They have no spiritual life. They don't know the Holy Spirit. That they are unregenerate. They're not born again. That they are, in fact, not Christians at all. And that's their problem. They're just not believers. They're just flesh and no spirit at all. There's no life in them at all. Is that what Paul is saying? No. I'm glad a few people are going like that. No. 
Because the reason I read from the chapter that precedes it is because clearly there, Paul is addressing these Corinthians as believers. True believers. They're born again. They've come to faith. They've been united to Christ. Later on in this third chapter, he will say with them that they are God's temple. They are God's temple. God's spirit dwells in them. He said to them at the end of chapter 2, but we have the mind of Christ. More about that later on. He is addressing them as fellow Christians. The problem with these Corinthians is not that they are not Christians. The problem with these Corinthians is that they are not acting like Christians. They are not speaking like Christians because ultimately they are not thinking like Christians. They are the Lord's people. Isn't that clear? I mean, come on. Just go back to the beginning of the letter if you need convincing of this and see how Paul addresses them in chapter 1 and verse 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and so on. He is addressing them and recognizing them as true believers. They're chosen, they're blessed, they're privileged, there are people in Christ, there are people who have the Holy Spirit. But, but, this is the but, in their behavior, they are still of the flesh. And Paul has to speak to them as if, they were still of the flesh. They are living far beneath their high calling. They are living far beneath their dignity and their privileges. And that is always the root cause of immaturity among Christians. A failure to think and understand the word of God and therefore to live beneath our calling and our privileges. Let's go on to a second point. This immaturity reveals itself in actions. We don't need to spend long over this point, but we can see in verse 3 straight away something that Paul has already drawn attention to in chapter 1. There is jealousy and strife among them. Verse 4, one says, I follow Paul. Another one says, I follow Apollos. I'm in Paul's gang, you're in Apollos' gang, that kind of thing. Immaturity always shows itself. There are telltale evidences of immaturity. And this is a classic example of it. A jealous, envious, tribal party spirit which creates divisions, which has favorites, which includes a few and excludes nearly everybody else. It's the behavior of the playground or the behavior of the uh, classroom. You can't sit next to me because my friend sits there. You can't play with me because you're not in my gang. 
It's the childish attitude which results in quarrels and squabbles and he started it, not me. Well, you know the kind of thing I mean. Let me just say something in passing. Childishness is very different to childlikeness. Would to God that we were all more childlike. It's great to be childlike. To be childlike is to be humble, to be trusting, to be innocent, to be teachable, to be willing to be corrected, to be innocent in that best sense of the word. But childishness is what we see here, this immaturity, the very opposite of childlikeness. It's the, the inability to want to learn or to be corrected. Immaturity always shows itself. And just briefly, we see immaturity in a number of ways in Paul's other letters. We'll come to some of these things later on, perhaps. The Galatians' immaturity shows itself in how gullibly they are taken in by false teachers who insist that they should be circumcised and follow the ceremonial laws of the, New Test- of the Old Testament. That is immaturity for the Galatians. The Colossians' immaturity is seen in that they are in danger of being swayed by the sub-Christian and even pagan philosophy of the age. They are swift to turn to sub-Christian arguments. In Philippi, you have two ladies, Euodia and Syntyche, who are arguing with one another. That's immaturity. You see also in Philippi, as in Corinth, a tendency towards envy, self-advancement, a spirit of pride, a spirit of striving. That's immaturity. And then again with these Corinthians, later on in this letter, we see this in chapter 14 and also chapter 12, we see their preoccupation with certain spiritual gifts especially the the exciting gifts, the sensational gifts, the unusual gifts, or to speak in tongues and show off the gift of tongues I've got, or prophecy, or healing. It's immaturity on their part that they want to display what they can do. We all know immaturity when we see it. We all recognize it, and it's Easier, in a sense, to identify it and describe it than it is to define it. But I want to come to a final point this evening. Because what is this immaturity really all about? This immaturity, my final point, is spiritual immaturity. Spiritual. Look again at verse 3 and verse 4 reading from a little way through verse 3. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Only in a human way. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being 
merely human. Merely human. Now these expressions, in, in English we have our translations in a human way, merely human. The Greek simply uses the word human or, or man in each case. Paul is saying to them, you're just being mere men. You're acting like you are unregenerate, unsaved, unspiritual, fleshly, mere men. It's as though you were not spiritual at all. It's as though you were simply unbelievers. But you are not unbelievers. But you need to recognize that your behavior and your attitude falls far short of what believers should be. That's spiritual immaturity. Now let's make this absolutely clear. Go back again to the last verse of chapter 2. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. When Paul says we... Who does he mean? Does he mean we have the mind of Christ? I mean, I and Peter and John and maybe Barnabas or perhaps Timothy or Silas uh, and uh, we who are apostles and uh, elevated men in the church, we have the mind of Christ, but you plebs out there don't have the mind of Christ at all. You riffraff. Is that what Paul means? Does he mean, well, we are high-flying, super-spiritual Christians, and we have the mind of Christ, but you minions out there, you don't have the mind of Christ. Is that what Paul means? No. No, not at all. Paul means that we, he's writing to these believers, and he's saying, we, you and I, together, As a group, we have the mind of Christ. Work it out. Work it out in your life. Live it out. Don't be a baby. Don't be an infant. Grow up. Work out this mind that you have in your life. The trouble with these Corinthians is that they are not utilizing the mind of Christ. They're not putting the mind of Christ into action. So what do we see here? Paul is interested in spiritual maturity. What is spiritual maturity? It is to think. It is to speak. It is to act according to the mind of Christ, which is given to God's people. But the Corinthians are not using the mind of Christ. We're talking about spiritual maturity. There are different types of maturity, aren't there? We all know that. What are some of them? Perhaps we think, first of all, many of us, of physical maturity. A child passes through adolescence and reaches mature adulthood. That's one kind of maturity, isn't it? But there's something that is mechanical and spontaneous 
and biological about that. It just happens in time. One can't control when that time in life comes. Even when one is young, one would like to, but it doesn't always happen that way. But other kinds of maturity are different in that we are personally responsible for exercising maturity. Now, let me give a few examples of this. There is emotional maturity in which a human being is able to exercise control over their feelings so that their actions are not simply driven by their emotions or by their feelings. That's one kind of maturity. There is intellectual maturity, isn't there? Where a human being has reached their full adult capacity to think, to reason, and to make choices. Then there is a kind of social or relational maturity where social skills or the art of diplomacy or even good manners or the ability to handle a tricky situation have developed to a very high level of sophistication. That's another kind of maturity. And then, fourthly, there is a kind of practical or pragmatic maturity that enables people to just to know what to do through the exercise of habit and experience. Emotional maturity, intellectual maturity, social maturity, practical maturity. Let me say this this evening. All of these are good. All of these are excellent. We should strive for them ourselves in all these areas. Strive for maturity. We should. I will go further than that. They are God-given. Whatever is commendable and excellent comes from God himself. Would that I and everybody here could attain to greater maturity in all these areas. And if we did, I would even say God will be glorified. If with our emotions and our minds and our social skills and our abilities and our practical, pragmatic know-how, we reach maturity. But I must say this, all these types of maturity can exist and flourish and be highly developed in people who are not Christians at all. You can have authors, artists, business people, sports people who display astonishing maturity brilliant, highly developed skill and ability in their chosen fields. You can have people with towering intellectual ability. You can have sportsmen with amazingly developed physical abilities and reflexes. You can have people of tremendous social warmth and ability to handle difficult situations in ways that none of us ever could. And yet, any of these people, all of these people, they are complete strangers to spiritual maturity, to the mind of Christ. You can have people who've received bucket loads of God's common grace, of natural ability, skills, talents, but they know nothing of God's saving 
spiritual grace in Christ. You can find people who, are, who fulfill all of Stephen Covey's seven criteria in that best-selling book you may have come across, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Wonderful book. Never read it myself. Maybe I should. Maybe it would help me a great deal. I might read it. I might learn what these highly effective people do and master all seven of those skills. But it doesn't mean that anybody who masters those skills are spiritual people. We've got to get this absolutely clear in our minds. All these people are ultimately nothing but flesh. They're merely human. The kindest, warmest, gentlest, most sympathetic, most brilliant, most capable unbeliever is still an unbeliever. Dead in trespasses and sins. A stranger to the grace of God, to the gospel of God, to the spirit of God. And what we will focus on over these coming weeks is this distinctively spiritual, Christ-centered maturity. That is the maturity that we must all desire and seek after. And let me just say this. When we know more and more of that maturity, it seems that these other kinds of maturity will increasingly follow in in their wake. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you as well. As I close, what is the gospel? What is Paul laboring for? What should we be laboring for? What is your goal in your life? I put it to you as plainly and starkly as that. What is your goal in your life, however old or young you are? What are you aiming for? Well, let me suggest that the goal that we must all share is spelt out for us by the Apostle Paul in the passage I read earlier on from Colossians 1, 26 to 29. Let me read uh, what Paul says there about the gospel. He says the gospel is... Colossians 1 verse 26, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is, listen, Christ in you. The hope of glory. Him we proclaim. Warning everyone. And teaching everyone. With all wisdom. Why? That we may present everyone. Mature in Christ. Everyone. The great thing about When the gospel gets hold in a country, in a community, among a people, in a time of awakening, is that everyone is affected. Not just the learned professors, not just those of maturer years, physically, biologically, everyone. Not just the wealthy, not just the powerful. Everyone 
that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I ask you, I challenge you, I plead with you, I appeal to you, all of you tonight, share that goal with me, with the Apostle Paul. For what does he do? He says in the following verse, verse 29, and this is why I think if you did get Paul and sat him down, he would, he would agree with what we've said this evening. Because he says there, for this I toil. For this I toil. Struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And there's an inclusiveness there. Because Paul is wanting with all his beloved church members in Corinth and every other place and Colossae and every other place that together we may all attain to that maturity, that full stature in Jesus Christ. Christ in you and we in Christ. That's it, isn't it? That's spiritual maturity. The key is to know Jesus Christ and to live in him and him in us. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we pray that just as a newborn infant longs for that milk, that he or she may grow and thrive. Just as the eager child or student in the classroom is tapping the pencil on the desk in anticipation of learning from the teacher. Just as the, the athlete on the sports training ground is training actively to, uh, to improve his times and his, and his energy and his work rate and his success. Oh Lord our God, may we all have that healthy desire to grow up into Christ. And to long, O Lord, that one another around us, those we love, and we love one another as we would love Christ. O Lord, we pray that together we would call on you, the one who can feed us, nourish us, strengthen us, exercise us, train us, grow us, that we may come to that place of greater maturity. Until that day, when our own eyes fasten upon the eyes of the Son of God and we look into them and we see his face and we feel his embrace and we are there in the presence of our elder brother, the Lord Jesus himself, who has shown the way for us and who is with us and in us as we go on this journey together. Oh Lord, give us, we pray, this attitude to know that we have the mind of Christ and we want to exercise and utilize and implement that mind in everything we do. Oh, Lord, help us. Forgive us our many sins and failures. Forgive all of us our great childishness and immaturity in so many ways. We pray now in our Savior's name. Amen.